Welcome to the Vertical Church Podcast. Today we are continuing our series, Make War. Now here's Pastor Josh Butcher with this week's message. The thing that you heard was a speech made by Winston Churchill in the middle of um, what you might consider uh, to be the experience very similar to something like um, Hell on Earth. Middle of World War II, Germany is marching. Does it look like um, anybody's going to be able to stand up to them? To them? And yet, uh, someone like Winston Churchill declares that this will be their finest hour. I believe that right now we're standing in what we may call our finest hour. We have so many opportunities, not just our church, but the whole Christian movement in the world. Never has there been a time when the expansion of the gospel uh, was so easy, but at the same time, never has there been a time when the expansion of the gospel has been so difficult. It's a very interesting time that we live in. It seems that there's no end to the resources that we have at our fingertips to know and uh, grow in our relationship with Jesus. If you have a smartphone or a tablet today, you can follow along with us on an app called YouVersion. Click the live link and search for Vertical and we're right there. I mean, at one point in history, you had to, to, to have a Bible, not just too many years ago, you actually had to carry a book with you. But now, not only on my phone do I have access to the English translation of the Bible, but I can access a, almost an innumerable amount of other languages of the Bible from my phone. You know, it's amazing. They, uh, they have this new app for the phone that just came out. You push it, you open the app, and then you, you hit a, a series of numbers. And then you hold it up to your ear and you can actually talk to somebody. Believe it or not, it's an app they just released. I went over everybody's head. It's a phone. Never mind. All right, let's just let's just jump in to what we're talking about today. We, we've never had this moment in history where the resources were so plentiful. Yet when we look around, we see very what what feels like very little progress. Churches all over the nation and the world are struggling and barely making it. But Jesus declared that, in my own words, that we would make war on the enemy. You know, this week I've been thinking about uh, some, some kind of experiences I've had in the past. You know, there was a time in my life where I was a salesman. I worked for a roofing contractor in New Orleans, uh, Louisiana, and Gulfport, Mississippi after Hurricane Katrina. And we were a Christian-owned and operated business. And seriously, our uh, while we were all there to make money, I don't know why, we were there to hopefully make a lot of money, which didn't actually happen. But we were also there because we believed that people who are paying for a product should get what they pay for. So many people were getting ripped off and scammed during that time. We, we thought a, a great Christian witness while making money was just to give people what they had paid for. Um, and so I was a salesman. I would go to your house. 
I would get up on top of your roof. I would measure uh, how many squares your roof was, and I would assess the damage, and I would write you a, a um, whatever, in, in a quote. I would give you a quote, an estimate um, to tell you how much it would cost to actually fix your roof. And let me tell you, I went into that experience thinking I was going to be really good. Let's face it, I know some of my natural skills are interacting with people when I have to. I can, I can really, you know, put on the, the, the schmooze and the charm and interact with people. And I do a fairly decent job talking and, and highlighting some really interesting things that you need to know. And let me tell you, I absolutely stunk as a salesman. I couldn't sell anything. I was terrible. You know, I thought the job would come naturally with just a little bit of training. If I had just the, enough information to know what goes into putting a roof on, I thought I could probably pull that off. I could pull off that. I was absolutely terrible. And I think I was one of the, the lowest selling salespeople in the business. Not, was not good. But you know, the, the, uh, Temptation is for all of us, really, is to look at our natural abilities, our natural gifts, our natural talents, the things that most people would say, you're pretty good at that, and believe that we can pull off success in life just by utilizing our natural talents and our natural abilities. But the thing that I've discovered over the last few months in, in prayer and really just wrestling with God over the direction that my life's going to take is that I've decided I don't want my life to be explainable without the Holy Spirit. I don't want people to look at my life and to think that I can do what I do just under my own power and under my own natural giftings and abilities. I want to live in such a way that I'm absolutely desperate for God to show up. And if he doesn't show up, I'm going to be hopeless and look like a fool. I want to put myself out there and depend on him. So desperate upon his presence, so desperate upon his spirit. But I'm out of luck if he doesn't show up. You see, I don't believe God wants any of us to live in such a way that makes sense from the world's point of view. I believe God's calling all of us, you, me, our whole church, to depend on him for a life that cannot be mimicked or forged by natural talents and abilities. You see, we tend to live lives. We even tend, especially in America, to build churches that don't really depend upon His Spirit. That don't depend upon the presence of God to make a difference in people's lives. We have a whole culture of Christians who are not disciples, followers, who do not follow. And when I look at it, I think to myself, I don't think this is what Jesus had in mind when He gave His life. Churches that are weak and struggling and powerless. Have you ever met somebody that just seemed like they had something extra? Just something special. You, you meet somebody and you think, man, they've got some, some kind of power or some kind of, you know, their prayers always seem to get answered. And when they pray, you can really feel the presence of God just fill the place 
Have you ever met somebody that the only thing you can really say about them is they've got what seems to be some kind of level of spiritual power that you don't? I've met people like that. I grew up around people like that. I grew up my, most of my teenage and early uh, 20s life around people that I would look at thinking, gosh, they're tapping into something that I'm missing out on. And so often I would feel uh, embarrassed or um, like there was something wrong with me. God, what is going on here? I feel like when they pray, stuff happens. When I pray, I just hear myself talk. What's going on? Well, you see, that's exactly what we're talking about in our Make War series. Talking about the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in the lives of believers. We believe that the Holy Spirit, just like the subtitle says, is waiting on us. Now this week, we're going to continue talking about the power of the Holy Spirit. Last week, Pastor Brian did a phenomenal job Introducing the subject of the power of the Holy Spirit by looking at the story of Paul and Silas. Today we're going to continue talking about power. I've got just a few thoughts that I want to share with you about what the power of the Holy Spirit does in the life of a believer. Next week we're going to talk about the presence of the Holy Spirit. What, what happens inside a believer when the presence of the Holy Spirit is there? And then last, the last week, after the Sunday after Thanksgiving, we are going to jump headfirst into a conversation that, for some of you, may or may not make you feel awkward. We're going to spend the whole day talking about spiritual gifts. Amen. Well, it's in the Bible, and so many of us don't understand what it, what's going on. For some of us, we just want to completely write it off and say, well, that's not valid, so we just don't even read those chapters. And then for others of us, we get so caught up on the other side that we're seeking gifts, and God's saying, I'm over here. Why don't you seek me, and, and, and I'll work out all the other stuff. So we're going to talk about it. What does it mean? What does it look like? How do you discover if you, you know, are gifted or not? Is there a special program, a special class? Do you get to go to the gift program? Like in elementary school? Accelerated reader? I'm an accelerated prayer. I have the gift of prayer. We're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about it. But this week, we're going to continue talking about power. If you have your Bibles with you, open them up to Acts chapter 1. We're going to start there. We're actually going to jump around quite a bit. If you have your Bible, you may want to uh, you know, get ready for some sword drills. Um, anybody ever do sword drills as a kid? Vacation Bible school junkies? Come on. Your mom or dad put you in vacation Bible school at like 17 different churches so she didn't have to put up with you during the summer? That's right. I know how it is. One week you're going to the Baptist vacation Bible school. The next week you're going to the Methodist vacation Bible school. Then you go to the Pentecostal vacation Bible school. By the end of the summer, you don't know what you believe. You just know vacation Bible school happens in the summertime. And you're going to do a lot of crafts. Right? And, and sword drills. You get really good at sword drills. I got Nehemiah chapter 2 verse 6 right here. All right. 
Let's jump into Acts chapter 1. Before we do that, let's pray. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, don't worry. The scriptures will be on the screen for you to follow along with. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your presence that's here with us. We invite you now to open our hearts, open our ears, open our minds to hear from your word, to see where we may be getting it wrong and to see where we're getting it right. To see the relationship that you're drawing us into. I pray that as we read your word, that our hearts and our lives will be changed for your glory. And God, we also pray today, not only for the Colts, but for the Redskins. They're not doing much better. They can't decide on the quarterback. Would you bless them today? In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. That's for all you Redskins fans, right? All right. So Acts chapter 1. We're going to read verses 4 and 5 and then jump down to verse 8. Luke says this. One occasion... While Jesus was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised. Now, if you're an underliner, if you, if you open your Bible up and it looks like uh, my, my oldest son Lex talks about Cole's artwork as scribble scrabble. Because Lex is a pretty good artist for a five-year-old, but his, son, his brother Cole... He just does that. If your Bible looks like you've got a bunch of scribble scrabble in it, you may want to underline that phrase, the gift my father promised. We're going to underline if you're an underliner. I'm not an underliner. I can't take anything on the pages except the print. I'm an AED, as you can tell. Which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized. You may want to underline that word with the Holy Spirit. Jump down to verse 8. But you will receive power, which is what we're talking about today, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The first thing, the first phrase I said to underline was the gift that our Father promised. The gift my Father promised. Because very simply, it's just a quick thought. So many of us get stressed out and, and quite honestly weirded out and confused about the whole issue with the Holy Spirit and what does that look like and do you have to do this and do you have to do that or do you have to say this or do you have to say that. The first thing we have to understand and realize is that the experience of the Holy Spirit is a gift from God that He's promised. I grew up my life I experienced it myself, and I saw so many people go through turmoil and heartbrokenness seeking this experience in God, thinking they were worthless and useless, that God didn't love them because they didn't have a certain experience. Go through life, go through months of just complete and utter turmoil and beating themselves up on the inside. The Holy Spirit is a gift. We know God is good and He desires to give good gifts to His children. That's what Scripture says. We know it's promised. You need to beat yourself up. When we read through Scripture, we see time and time again, people simply say, do you want to receive the Holy Spirit? I do want to receive Okay, you receive it. It's good. 
Holy Spirit's gift promised by God. You stress out about it. You think you're a subpar Christian because, because you, you haven't done X, Y, and Z. The Holy Spirit is a gift promised by God. The word baptized comes from a Greek word that basically means immersed, dumped. In other words, Jesus says there's this gift that the Father has promised. And it's going to be like dunking you in the the Holy Spirit. I'm going to dunk you in the presence of God. You're going to be immersed in God. And he says when that happens, when you are immersed in the presence of God, in the glory of God, in God himself, there's this power. The word they use for power is the same word. We end up getting the word dynamite out of. Basically means this force, this miraculous, explosive power of God. He doesn't stop there. He says, basically there's this gift that the Father has promised. You don't have to stress and worry and jump through all the... You know how you got saved? You asked Jesus to, to save you and be your Lord? There you go. You don't have to jump through a bunch of hoops to get saved. You don't have to jump through a bunch of hoops to, get, to, to receive the gift that the Father has promised. When you receive the gift, it's like you're being dunked in the presence of the Holy Spirit. And within that dunking, there's this miraculous, explosive power of God that fills your life in order to take the message of Jesus Christ to the world. He says, when you receive this power, you'll be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the world. Now, who was he talking to? Remember, Jesus is saying this to his disciples. And it's not like this group of of guys had it all together. It's not like they had it all figured out. It's not like somewhere in the middle of the the Gospel of Mark, Jesus just looks at them and goes, You guys, y'all got this under control. I can't even believe I'm still here. I don't know what I'm doing here. You've got it under control. You get all the right answers to all the right questions. And even when I try to throw a trick one in there, you get it and you see right through it. Golly, guys. I can't believe I'm still hanging around. I might as well just go home. No. We're talking about a group of men that, that didn't always have it together. One of the leaders of the disciples, his name's Peter. In the gospel, you see Peter on the night that Jesus gets betrayed, kind of hanging around in the shadows. And somebody says, hey, do you follow Jesus? He says, no, he betrays him. But here's the catch about Peter. Where were the other guys? They were nowhere to be found. At least Peter was close enough to betray him. This is the group of men that Jesus is talking to. One of them hang around close enough, but he betrays him. The other one's we don't know where are they at. Then when Jesus does raise from the grave, where do we find his disciples? Out in the streets celebrating, dancing, cranking up the tango music. Jesus is a no. They're locked away in a little room, hiding from who? The, the authorities, the religious leaders. They thought they were about to, just like Jesus did. And Jesus tells them this group of fearful. 
worrying, uncertain, can't really even get their name on the test right group of believers. And he says, there's going to be this experience. There's a gift that the Father has promised. It's the very reason I've come. And now I'm about to go away. I'm going to send this gift to you. And when you, when you receive this gift, it's going to be kind of like you get dumped. That you just kind of get immersed in the presence of God. And in this immersion, you're going to receive this power. And that power is going to enable you and empower you to take this message of hope and restoration and salvation to the entire world. Here we are, 2,000 years later, declaring the same message. Why? Because the Holy Spirit enabled a bunch of fishermen and, and blue-collar people back in Jerusalem about 2,000 years ago. The Holy Spirit empowered them and enabled them to take that message. And some of them went this way, and some of them went that way. Some of them made it to Rome, and some of them made it to Egypt, and some of them made it to Turkey. And they began spreading this message to the point where now almost the entire globe is covered by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some people are rejecting it, some people are accepting it. But nearly everyone, not everyone, but nearly everyone is heard. Why? Because the Holy Spirit did exactly what Jesus said he did. To the believers who trusted and took hold of the gift, he empowered them to take the message. So the first thing that we need to understand is that the Holy Spirit gives us the power to share Christ boldly. This is the first thing that we need to understand about the Holy Spirit. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Verses 4 through 5. The scriptures will be on the screens. Don't worry about trying to sword drill it real fast. He says this. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words. In other words, he says, I didn't come teaching you a philosophy. I didn't come with all of these nice, neat, packaged arguments to completely erase all of your doubts and questions. He said, but my preaching and teaching... Not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. So that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. And when I read the New Testament, I read about a church that is an unstoppable force. Nothing and no one was going to come against them. Nothing could what God was doing because Jesus even told them before in the Gospels he said I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell won't be able to prevail against it and when we read the New Testament we read Acts and we read the letters of Paul we see exactly that we see a church that's powerful and spreading like wildfire and it's not because they've got clever strategies and clever planning and it's not definitely not because they have this overabundance of finances it's simply because they are living in a movement by the spirit of God Amen. riots torture, poverty all sorts of persecution couldn't stop it and we all read it and we all look at it and we think oh, that's exactly the type of church I want to be in We all long to be a part of something that's unstoppable. But when we look around, 
So much of what we see today is anything but unstoppable. Churches get derailed by all sorts of different things. They get derailed by pastoral failures. They get derailed by internal disagreements. They get derailed by budget cuts because of what's happening on Wall Street. They get derailed by anything that can barely nudge them or move them because churches built solely on human effort and human strength and not in the strength of the Holy Spirit will collapse quickly when adversity strikes. They will crumble and fail. Is I don't read the New Testament and see people saying, begging and asking God to, to uh, work, work in them or, or asking God to be a part of what they're doing. As if Paul says, God, I'm about to go on this missionary trip. Would you be a part of this? But what I see Paul doing is saying, What God, you want me to do what? I'm, I'm just happy to be a part of your plan. I don't see people asking God to be a part of what they were doing. I see people privileged and excited to play a part of what God's doing. So here's what I've been praying over you this week, entire week, is I've been, been praying and, and believing God would do this in your life. I believe this week you're going to feel prompted. Maybe at your work, maybe at the grocery store, maybe at the library with your kids, maybe at the playground, maybe sitting in your cubicle, maybe sitting at your desk if you go to school. You're going to feel the prompting of the Holy Spirit, a little nudge to share the message of Jesus Christ. You're going to feel a little bit of kind of prodding and pushing and thinking, I should really either, I should really invite this person to church or I should really, you know, just kind of reach out to this person and tell them that, that everything's going to be all right and they're going to make it and, and they can put their trust and their hope in Jesus. I've been praying that over you. When that happens, Go with it. Go with it. Let it go. Let it rip. What if I say the wrong thing? What if I stumble over my words? Hey, the power of the Holy Spirit enables us to share Christ boldly. Don't stress about the words. Don't stress about messing it up. Don't stress about having all the answers. You're not called to have all the answers. You're called to point people to Jesus. You might even get to a place where they ask you to pray for them. What are you going to do then? You're going to do the same thing you did in the first case. You depend upon the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. So the second thing, not only does the Holy Spirit give us the power to share Christ boldly, but the Holy Spirit gives us the power when we are weak. When we are weak. Romans chapter 8, verse 26 says this about the Spirit's power. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And the greatest illustration I can think of of this point is a spotter. Have you ever, have you ever tried to lift weights? Try to go to the gym and lift weights? I used to. You can kind of tell that I haven't been to the gym in a few months, but I used to work out all the time, especially when I was in high school and early college. And I learned the purpose of a spotter. For those of you who may not be familiar with weight training, a spotter is the person that's standing there and they're helping you get the last couple of reps. 
if you do a set which is about anywhere from 8 to 12 to 15 reps, you're going to push, like you're going to do a bench press, you're going to, that's a rep, right? Well, what I learned in actually kind of studying this a little bit is that, let's say you're going to do 10 reps, okay? The first eight are really have no other purpose other than tiring your muscle out. That's it. Not actually building any strength. You're not burning any fat. The first eight reps in a set is just there to get your muscle tired and weak. It's the last two or three that you do when you're grunting and pushing and using all the strength that you have that actually builds muscle, actually makes you stronger. The first eight just make you tired. This last two make you stronger. You see, what a spotter does, let's say you're, you're laying on a bench and I'm the spotter. What a spotter does is lets you do those eight by yourself so you get good and tired. Your muscles get fatigued and weak. Then the spotter comes along when you can't lift all of the weight up by yourself because your muscles are tired and weak. But if you stop, you don't get any real benefit. So the spotter's standing there and lifts up just enough on the bar so you can get those last two or three reps where the growth really comes from. The benefit of the exercise comes. When we are weak, that's when the Holy Spirit is strong. Wondering why you're not growing? It's because you're giving up when you're weak. Because the Holy Spirit's the one who enables you to be strong in the middle of that weakness. You're dealing with sin and temptation, and you continue to give in and give in and give in because you don't have any more effort to fight? Right. You're fighting in your own strength. The Holy Spirit is there to be your spotter, to lift up so you can continue pushing, so you can continue receiving the benefit and the growth that's there, when we get to the end of our strength, that's when the Holy Spirit steps in. And He is strong when we can't be. So, I would ask you this morning, where are you weak? Where are you weak? Are you weak in sin? In the temptation that you just can't overcome? Ask Him to be strong. Ask Him. Are you weak in a personal relationship? You just can't stop fighting with your spouse. You try and you try and you try and you do everything that you can think of and you use all the right words and you say, I, I felt this and I felt that. You don't blame and you don't do anything, but you continue to just butt heads and fight and fight and fight. Why? Why don't you ask him? God, would you give me strength in my marriage to overcome this, this, this difficulty, this, this lack of communication or miscommunication? Maybe it's the same thing with a parent or a child. You continue just butt heads with them. Invite the Holy Spirit to be strong in your weakness. Really, it all comes together in the third thing. You see, the Holy Spirit not only gives us the power to share Christ boldly, not only does the Holy Spirit give us power when we are weak, the Holy Spirit also gives us the power to experience all of the fullness of God. You know, being a pastor, you look around and 
you see so much of Christianity reduced to the lowest common denominator. Reduced to the lowest requirement possible. Hey, be a Christian, just go to church, believe in God, and try to be a good person. I know that you're still hurting, and you're still fearful, and you're still addicted, and you don't really have any real faith, and you never experienced victory in your life, but go to church, believe in God, try to be a good person, and you'll be fine. You'll make it to heaven. You won't fry when you die, and you'll fly. I think, I think we can all agree that Living according to our sinful flesh is not what God intends for us. And unfortunately, we often choose to face life's difficulties and life's circumstances and issues in exactly the same way that someone without the Spirit of God will face them. We worry, we strive, we grieve, we fear, we stress. No differently than an unbeliever. We fight with our spouse, we argue with our kids. No different. Now, I know some of you are thinking right now, but Pastor Josh, you've got to understand, I'm only human. I'm only human. I can't be perfect. I'm only human. I would say I agree with you. You can't be perfect. And yes, it's absolutely true that Christians, believers in Jesus, are humans just like everyone else. But it's also true that we're not like everyone else. You're claiming that you have the Spirit of God living inside of you. Let me tell you, that makes you not like everyone else. I don't know if that's a newsflash, but when you claim that the same power that resurrected the Son of God out of the grave is living inside of you, that doesn't make you like everyone else. We're not like everyone else. And what disturbs me is that when we are not really bothered that God living in us has not made that much of a difference. As if this whole salvation was just this mental thing that we have believed that Jesus rose from the dead and will save us when we die. As if our whole relationship is just a decision to believe. But it makes no difference and how we live. That bothers me. Because when I read scripture, I read about the fruit of the Spirit. Maybe you're familiar with that passage. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. It's pretty good. Vacation option. <laughs> I would ask, do you possess each of those to a supernatural degree? Holy Spirit wants to fill you with power to experience the fullness of God. Do you experience love to a supernatural degree? Do you have more kindness and more faithfulness than your Mormon neighbors? Do you have more self-control than the Muslim co-workers that work down the hall? Do you have more peace than a Buddhist? Do you have more joy than an atheist? Because you should! everyone else. One last scripture. Ephesians chapter 3 verses 16 through 19. 
I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Have you ever wondered, is there more? In the quiet of your night, while you're laying down to, to go to sleep in your bed, and your mind starts wondering, and you start kind of half praying and half just thinking, have you ever wondered, God, is there more? Is there more to this? I'm going to let you in on the answer to that question. Yes. Yes, there's more. Absolutely, 100%, unequivocally, yes. There's the constant reality of the awareness that the presence of God is with you wherever you are at all times. There's the manifestation of the fruit that we just spoke about. There's joy unspeakable that you can't even explain. You don't know why. There's the experience of being led by the Spirit as you keep in step with the Spirit. And the thoughts that happen in your mind are led and are given by the Spirit. There's supernatural strength to say no to the wrong things and yes to the right things. There's strength that allows you to live the life that Jesus said was possible. You can never do it through your own strength. You have to allow Him to help you live the life you cannot live on them. One that will bring glory and honor to God. Thank you so much for joining us today. We always appreciate hearing how God is moving in your life. We all have a story to tell. And we'd love to hear yours. Please visit verticalchurch.tv and click on the little pencil icon called Amen Corner to tell us your story. Also, if you'd like to support the ministry of Vertical Church financially, you can do so by clicking the giving link at verticalchurch.tv. Thank you again for taking the time to join us and point those far from God to life in Jesus.